0: we are another locked on crossover podcast i'm with grant goldberg of locked on seahawks i am brian peacock of locked on 49ers you can find me at bd peacock on twitter of course lockedon 49ers.com uh, grant how are you doing man tell the tell the listeners where they can find you oh uh, yeah you can find me at grant goldberg on twitter you can find the show's twitter
1: at locked seahawks and uh yeah you no know, we're we're all accessible you can you know, throw any questions you have over at our twitter handles and uh, we'll be sure to uh, to uh, reach back out to you guys.
0: So Niners Seahawks, the 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 first thing I want to get into here with these two teams is it's really funny because coming into the season and it's it's weird that the 49ers and Seahawks haven't played yet. They're going to play two late season games here against each other Um the 49ers were the, the the team with the hype coming into the season. They were the team that's supposed to na- take the next step, take off. Obviously, Jimmy Garoppolo hurt. That all just got thrown on its ear. The Seahawks was the team that was losing all this talent, uh, that was on the downturn, that was supposed to crumble, and they were supposed to be bottom feeders now. And that that was sort of the idea. You know, maybe that's oversimplifying things, but that was really what people thought. These two teams were doing and it turns out They're going in those opposite directions And the Seahawks are now battling again for a Playoff spot um, My question to you just First of all is how is Pete Carroll Keeping this thing together with some of the loss Of talent obviously the 49ers Now have Richard Sherman uh, There's the whole Earl Thomas thing Particularly The defensive side of the ball how is this thing Still afloat and still The Seahawks in a, in a position To do big things this year
1: well, I think it actually goes back to a little bit what Richard Sherman said—that you know it's a little bit more of a college mentality for younger players. You know, it gets stale for some of the veterans, and you know what we've seen is this uh, influx of young talent go into the Seahawks defense and you know have a, a, obviously a, lar- a a way larger role than years past. And so, you no, know, it's it's still a young, hungry defense, and that's what Pete Carroll thrives with. And then you take a look at the coaching staff. And uh, Pete Carroll got his guys in there this offseason. He got Ken Norton Jr. in there as the defensive coordinator. uh, And then you have Brian Schottenheimer uh, running the offense. And so, you know, those are two guys that are going to go through Pete Carroll for everything. It's Pete Carroll's team through and through. And so uh, we're we're really seeing a product of Carroll and uh, his idea, uh, how they want to play football. And, uh, you know, obviously losing Earl Thomas changes the way you play defense a little bit. But uh, the way they've held it together, uh, especially with losing all this All-Pro, Pro Pro Bowl talent, uh, it's been really spectacular to watch. Now, at times it's been a little bit frustrating, and they've been a liability at at some points in in some games. But, you know, for the most part, they've been a really, really pleasant surprise. And uh, I've had a lot of fun watching them this season.
0: And obviously... Like, like one of the biggest things you can have in the NFL. It's what we're seeing like the days of having just a straight up stud defense and a mediocre quarterback and going all the way and winning a Super Bowl. It's happened quite a few times in history, but it seems like this is the type of league that that's going to start happening less and that less. And it's all about head coach and quarterback and the Seahawks still have those two guys. What's how's Russell Wilson playing so far through 11 games?
1: You know, I think last year he was getting a little bit more of the notoriety because of the lack of run game that the Seahawks had. And so Russell Wilson accounted for over 80% of the Seahawks' total offense last year. And so he was, you know, put in at the forefront of, you know, MVP conversations. And, you know, when they talked about the Seahawks, they talked about Russell Wilson, and that's it. Um, this year it's different. They've got a strong running game in the offense, and so I wouldn't say he's flying under the radar, but he's definitely not getting enough national attention in my mind. Uh, but it's, it's, it's simple and it, it's easy to overlook Russell Wilson's stellar play when you got guys like Drew Brees, Patrick Mahomes, Jared Goff, all playing uh, football at a, an extremely high level. But uh, Russell Wilson's numbers are extremely close to what he did last year. Uh, he's on pace for about 37 touchdowns. Uh, he's only thrown a few picks this year, I think five. And so he's playing tremendous football. He's using his mobility more than he is, than he was at the beginning of the year. And so, I know, I've been super impressed by how consistent Russell Wilson's been. Uh, He still brings that... Uh you know, with Russell Wilson, you have a chance in a football game. Like he still brings that to every game. Uh fourth quarter, you know, whether he can't play football for three quarters, it seems that you no know, in the fourth quarter you're gonna get a great play <laughs> from Russell Wilson. Uh it's it I don't know if it's law at this point in the universe, but it just always seems to happen. So you know, I've been extremely impressed by Russell Wilson as well. Uh him and Pete Carroll both.
0: Yeah, and you- you're talking to a 49ers fan base right now over here on locked on 49ers and they know all too well about that magic Russell Wilson. And uh, so I think it's been nice for the 49ers fans not to have to see him so far this year. Now they get to see him twice at the end of a bad season. And so that's, it would be nice if the 49ers were able to come away with the win. I think in this lost season, at least one game against the Seahawks, I think that would make fans feel a lot better, but yeah, I don't know if it's in the cards because I'm looking at Russell Wilson's numbers right now, by the way. You mentioned the five interceptions to 25 touchdowns. is such a great ratio. His quarterback rating right now is 112. Yeah. Like the dude is playing lights out. He's not getting any credit because of some of the guys that are putting up insane numbers right now in some offenses, like you mentioned. is this? It might be his best statistical year. I'm looking at the numbers here, 67% almost completions. Um, he's playing great.
1: Yeah, and um, like I said, you know, if I, I think if Drew Brees, Patrick Mahomes, Jared Goff aren't playing as well as they are with, you know, how their team is playing, then Russell Wilson is definitely going to be, you know, in that conversation for most valuable player. Uh, but yeah, comparing it to last year, I think, you know, even this year might be a little more impressive uh, just how efficient he's had to be. Um, I think the passing yards, that's always been kind of an inflated quarterback stat, uh it's never been my favorite. So I always, you know, carry little weight with that. I know some people might use it, you know, just for volume and, and to show, you know, what a quarterback does on a week to week basis. But, you know, efficiency matters just as much, if not more to me. And so, yeah, Russell Wilson's doing all this at an incredibly efficient pace and uh, he's just making the correct plays for the Seahawks. Um, it's really nitpicky to, uh, to look at Russell Wilson's game and say, oh, well, you know, he creates a little more pressure than he needs to and uh, he misses high a little bit. But, you know, for the most part, you get a spectacular player week in, week out, just makes winning plays. And I think that's what Russell Wilson's all about, just, you know, finding a way to win the game.
0: And when you see the names that get surrounded with him on offense, the names that are like, you know, Chris Carson comes out of nowhere and he's just starting running back in the NFL, even over the first round pick Rashad Penny. And in the past it was guys like Doug Baldwin who kind of came out of nowhere. He's like, who's this Doug Baldwin guy? And he just work him like, goes goes about his business and and is a really good receiver. And now there's a new guy that's, that's popped up that I've noticed a few times. And I'm like, where do you keep finding these guys? David Moore. Tell me a little bit about young wide receiver David Moore.
1: Yeah, David Moore was actually a uh, seventh round draft pick. And, you know, Chris Carson as well, they were both uh, seventh-round draft picks. But uh, when when you look at Moore, he, he's a guy from East Central University. Uh, he's a second-year player. Uh, was that sounds the, fake. Yeah, exactly. That sounds exactly. like a fake college. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, as as players do, you know, the, the NFL player factory, East Central University. Um, <laughs> yeah, he just has a knack for making these big plays. Uh, Russell Wilson is a guy that trusts all of his receivers, and I think we see that you know, to a fault sometimes. You know, he gives fifty-fifty balls to to guys that maybe shouldn't. But you know, David Moore is a, a bona fide fifty-fifty ball guy. Uh, you note know, I think you know what uh, embodies him as a player is just you know at the right time in the game. You no, know, he's always coming up big. I think uh, it shows it showed it most in the Seahawks Panthers game. Last Sunday, when uh, the Seahawks were down and and needed a touchdown fourth and three, he creates enough separation, fights off the defender who is probably you know flagged for interference on a good day, uh, and and makes a tough grab, scores a touchdown for the Seahawks. And so, you no, know, he's he's a guy that maybe doesn't have the the gaudy numbers, the uh, the big receiving yards, but uh, he catches touchdowns, he makes plays at big moments in the game. And uh, it's been a really welcome addition. I think when you uh, take out Brandon Marshall from the Seahawks offense and you plug in David Moore, it's, it's really just night and day. Uh, I mean, they're two players at, at different points in their career. But uh, just in, in terms of fit for the offense and, and uh, earning that trust from Russell Wilson and deserving that trust, I think uh, it's two different cases, but David Moore has been really tremendous as a third receiver for
0: the Seahawks this year. One more quick question about the Seahawks offense before we take a break here. Um, Rashad Penny's first-round running back. Uh, it was a pick that was surprised a lot of people. I didn't see quite a first-round running back in Rashad Penny, especially the second running back off the board after Saquon Barkley. There's, it was a really good... Class of running backs, and uh, he hasn't really taken over that running back spot. But he did have a, a mini breakout a couple weeks ago. What's going on with Rashad Penny? Is he still sort of the running back of the future, or is he going to be in the back seat to Chris Carson for a while?
1: Uh, I think as as long as Chris Carson's playing well, it's it's Carson's job to lose. I, I they definitely wanted to get Penny more involved. You saw that. Um, A little bit before the Chargers game, John Schneider, the GM, talked about how they wanted to get Penny involved, and so he's kind of taken over that second running back role ahead of Mike Davis. Uh, He's won that out. He played really well against the Rams, had a a few good runs uh, throughout these last few weeks, but only had 10 snaps against the the Panthers, and so uh, they're, they're taking their time with Penny. Uh, Running backs, you know, they don't usually have the longest careers, as we both know, and so, you know, I don't think they're in any rush to kind of force the issue with Penny, but they did want to integrate him a little more into the offense, and so we've seen an expanded role, but, you know, in these last few weeks, at least we've seen the talent that justifies selecting him high. Or that he's a good player, and so you get a good player selecting him that high. You know, we can talk about the value all you want, and uh, you know, I- I'm sure we'll be in agreement that you know they could have had better value in the first round than maybe get him in the second. But, uh, you know, he's a talented player. We've seen that at least at least during some points of the season. So, you know, I don't think anything's lost with Penny. I think uh, it's definitely for the future. But, you know, when you have a running back room that's as deep as the Seahawks right now, that's a good thing because, you know, you know, as well as anybody, you know, running backs can, you know, go down, at, you know, an instant. So oh, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm definitely happy with the way the running back room looks this year compared to last year where, you know, it seemed like everybody was getting hurt. Ah, uh, there was no really consistent runner, and so I, I think uh, Mike Davis was the most consistent runner, the leading rusher out of the running back room for the Seahawks, and so that's why he earned a, a spot on this roster and and the second running back role uh, throughout the early part of the season. But I'm 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 happy with the state of the room right now.
0: Yeah, definitely uh, saw Penny flash multiple times. I believe it was the game a couple weeks ago. Um... Uh, I don't remember which the, who the opponent was. They were in prime time two weeks ago, right? Um, they
1: was were it? they were in prime time against the Green Bay Packers. They were in prime time. They weren't in prime time versus the Rams. But uh, the Rams, he definitely looked like a great, a, a really really good runner. Uh, yeah, had it might run have been that Rams game, or or thirty eight and then uh eighteen on a touchdown run. But you know, just some that shiftiness, uh, ability to break tackles, and then uh he has that second gear, which is kind of. Uh, unexpected when you see his frame and uh, yeah, the size of his body. So you know, having that second level to 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 run at, you know, that's really welcome with a guy his size. And so it, it gets you excited, but you know, also you know throughout the whole rest of the season and how he's been utilized and and how much playing time he's had, you, know, you always temper your expectations a little bit.
0: Yeah, there was that Rams game, and you see that burst when he's in the second level, and you saw that all the time at San Diego State, making all these long runs, and then you're like, okay, there it is. That that was what that was the thing, and yeah. and you, you always wonder like, how did he get out in the open field and outrun all these guys in college? And then you did get a glimpse of that uh, in the NFL, so he still has that ability.
1: Yeah, definitely, and uh, you know who knows, maybe he'll have a little more opportunity against the San Francisco 49ers Uh, 49ers, uh Depending on way, the way that the game pans out, but you now I think this is a good place to take a short break We'll we'll talk about one of our sponsors really quick and then come back with the rest of this crossover Wednesday episode Now guys, let's talk about sex We're gonna talk about good sex now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed now listen up It's bluechew.com. That's blue like the color blue BlueChew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them at any time, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. BlueChew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our locked on listeners. Visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our promo code LOCKED ON. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B L U E CHU.com promo code LOCKED ON to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. All right, and we are back with Locked On Crossover Wednesday. You have Locked On Seahawks, Locked On 49ers with Grant Goldberg and Brian Peacock. And we last left you talking about the Seahawks offense and and the state of that. But uh, we're going to shift the focus over to the San Francisco 49ers offense. And, and Brian, I have a question for you right off the bat. You know, you have this... uh, this quarterback play—you go from Jimmy Garoppolo to C.J. Beathard, and then uh, Nick Mullins, who's kind of come onto the scene. Now, I want to—I want to get your feel on how the quarterback play has been over the last couple weeks, and uh, what Seahawks fans should expect when Nick Mullins goes under center.
0: Yeah, Nick Mullins is a very simple scouting report. I think. I think the first thing it's obvious is he's not a height, weight, speed athlete, and that's why he was not heavily recruited out of high school. Even though he was in the state of Alabama and was the Gatorade player of the year, uh, the back to back Gatorade players of the year in Alabama were Jameis Winston and Nick Mullins. <laughs> and so, yeah, and so he ends up going to Southern Miss and, and breaks all of Brett Favre's records there. And still, NFL teams aren't really noticing and, and nobody drafts him. And the 49ers quarterback coach notices this kid and brings him in and, and uh, they sign him as an undrafted free agent. And he, the thing that's clear is that his he does his homework. And he was ready to jump in on Thursday night football primetime against the Raiders and it really was eye-opening It was like, okay He looked more comfortable in this offense than CJ Beathard had at all over two seasons And so that was the first thing that I loved seeing about him Is like, okay He's he's been doing his work behind the scenes pre-snap reads going through progressions It just is quicker mentally processing is quicker now now that said he just doesn't have the physical ability to be you know, a starting NFL quarterback. You can see it when he really tries to drive the ball outside the numbers. He doesn't have a strong arm, and so he's not going to carry a team. But what I think he can do is be that game manager. He's not afraid to sling it either, which I think could get him into trouble at times. He's thrown a couple of interceptions the last couple of weeks. I, I could see one of those disastrous games coming down the stretch here for the 49ers where Mullins tries to do too much because he's not afraid to sling it and throws like three or four picks or something like that but generally anticipation he gets the ball out on time and he can he we've seen a few plays there was that one to George Kittle a few weeks ago where Kittle made a one-handed catch in between three defenders and then took (laughs) it 70 yards and that was a crazy throw under pressure to fit it in a tight window he's not afraid to let it go and he can he can make some tight window throws especially in the middle of the field when he doesn't have to really uh, get his get everything into a throw But um, I've loved what I've seen From Nick Mullins and I think he earned the spot Over C.J. Bethard so now it's a battle To see who's going to be that long term Backup to Jimmy Garoppolo because obviously The 49ers don't want either one of those Quarterbacks playing Right. Uh, but they're forced to right now but uh, I like a lot what I've seen from Nick Mullins just competitive And uh, a stat I saw today actually It's, it's uh, from Pro Football Focus about uh, Sacks that are that they gave to the quarterbacks They're basically like this This sack was the quarterback's fault And Jimmy Garoppolo had three um, CJ Beathard had a few Zero for Nick Mullins So that shows you he gets the ball out on time He gets the ball out on quick And you can, re- you can really see that in the 49ers offense The offense started moving a lot better Despite his uh, lack of physical ability Once he jumped in there So I think that's why he's earned the spot, and he didn't play great against the Bucks last week. But you know, there was the Ruben Foster stuff hanging over the team's head, and of course, they never play well on those East Coast 10 a.m. trips. So uh, we'll see if they staying on the West Coast here will help, and uh, they've got that Ruben Foster stuff behind them. But I've liked a lot of what I've seen from Nick Mullins, despite his lack of physical ability. Uh, pre-snap reads, post-snap reads, he's a competent quarterback, and I think he's got a chance to stick in the league for a little while as a backup.
1: Yeah, no, you uh you find yourself as an NFL team, uh you never want your quarterback to go down, but when you can find that sturdy option as a backup, you know, the the game manager type like you've been saying, uh that's always a welcome thing. Uh I think, you know, when you find maybe like a Josh McCown type to back up your quarterback, you know, I think you're in good shape when you talk about your quarterback room. And so yeah, that was that was a great great scouting report on Nick Mullins and I I definitely learned a lot hearing about him. Uh, And there's some, there's some opportunities for him to exploit uh, maybe a little further down the field uh, towards Tedrick Thompson's area. But, uh, you know, you you said, you talked about Ruben Foster, and I think, you know, uh, it's, it's never uh, a comfortable conversation for a lot of people to have about uh, uh, arrests, you know, featuring domestic violence and, and things of that nature. But, you know, I, I think it's warranted that we do talk about uh, Reuben Foster and how it changes the outlook of this San Francisco 49ers defense.
0: Yeah, and it's such a uh, such a bizarre situation with Reuben Foster because he's his personality when you see him in interviews and everyone seems to love him and the team really was attracted to his personality in the draft because when you talk to him, he's got a smile on his face. And you're like, well, this guy can't be all that bad. And he just continually makes bad decisions when he's away from the team and even at the team hotel, which I think was really the final straw with why the 49ers, uh, they didn't care about, oh, is he guilty of this thing? It was like, dude, you're getting arrested at the team hotel. You got to go. And so I think that was really the final straw for John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan and uh, Lynch talking about protecting the team. And and he's not doing that. But uh, and actually a a friend of mine was asking about Ruben Foster, and I was like, do you remember... The 1990s movie Encino Man, and it was that's what he reminded me of. Brendan Fraser's character in Encino Man is he such he's like the life of the party, but then just zero life skills like the way he was brought up is just a rough situation for him and so unfortunately the 49ers didn't have a Paulie shore to help him out <laughs> and uh it ended up being in an alternate ending to encino man with uh with reuben foster but that's sort of what you get with him is just the, the he just lacks some some life skills and unfortunately he wasn't able to come around while he was with the 49ers but as, as far as the on field aspect of it he hadn't really lived up to what the star talent I thought he was going to show in 2018 because he definitely flashed at as a rookie and he's been dealing with a lot of injuries throughout his career. And that's another thing from college. So that was, you know, double red flags, I think with Ruben Foster. And I think that's a learning lesson for the young GM and John Lynch is, is avoiding some red flags like that. And so with the injuries and the off field stuff, he really never had an opportunity to be the star linebacker. I think the 49ers thought he was going to be and Instead, the 49ers have a young budding star linebacker in Fred Warner that they drafted in the third round this year. So, the emergence of Fred Warner being that middle linebacker, and they've put the green dot helmet, put the green dot on his helmet from day one, and he's been able to uh, really, I think, ease that pain of losing Reuben Foster now because they still have a really good young linebacker. Maybe he doesn't have quite the level of upside that Reuben Foster might have had. But they've got a really solid long-term starter in Fred Warner. And Pro Football Focus just had an article about how good he's played as a rookie. So that really eases the pain there. And so now the 49ers have to figure out what they're going to do with Malcolm Smith long-term. And, and Malcolm Smith's going to be the guy next to, Ruben, or next to uh, Fred Warner the rest of this year. And then the Niners are going to have to either go into free agency or the draft and probably try to find somebody uh, that is better than Malcolm Smith to play that weak side linebacker spot long-term.
1: Yeah, um, Malcolm Smith is a guy that Seahawks fans are obviously familiar with. Uh, there's some happy memories. And then uh, if if Seahawks fans, you know, don't put the rose-colored glasses on, you know, a lot of his tenure was just really inconsistent play. Uh, he'd flash it sometimes. Uh, in that Super Bowl run in 2013 going into 2014, uh, Smith played, you know, out of his mind in the second half of the season leading up to the playoffs and through it. But uh, the rest of his tenure was just super up and down. Uh, you never got the same player week in and week out. So, yeah, definitely if I'm a 49ers fan, I'm looking to uh, get a little bit more of a consistent option right there. And, and since I'm talking about uh, guys, Seahawks ties on the Niners, uh, how's Cassius Marsh doing for the 49ers? I, I'm sure Seahawks fans would appreciate getting a little uh, check-in on him.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've kind of crushed Cassius Marsh on this podcast numerous times, not because of him as the player, and it's not his fault, it's that he's been put in this position and the, the 49ers, I can't remember if it was John Lynch or Kyle Shanahan now. I think it was Shanahan had a quote after the 49ers didn't draft an edge rusher like everybody in the world thought they were going to do. And he's like, hey, you got to be pretty good to beat out Cassius Marsh. And Ooh. 49ers fans sort of looked at each other like, wait, what? Are we talking about the same journeyman, like rotational guy here? And so, I mean, he's been exactly what you thought Cassius Marsh would be. And he, he's, he's a fine player. And he's had a couple sacks this year, and he does the karate kick celebration, and I kind of shake my head every time, but it's like you – know, uh, he's <laughs> not the impact edge rusher that he's being asked to be as really the number one edge guy on passing downs. So it's been a huge disappointment that he's the guy that's been tasked with that job, but really what he should be it would be a fine player is a guy who comes in and is a rotational guy and plays a little – Bit of defensive end for you but aside From that he's been pretty much what you would expect from, from Cassius Marsh and and Definitely not a guy that you dislike or a guy that you Don't want on the team he's just been asked to do more Than he's capable of
1: yeah uh, I, I, And he was never that and yeah, He was never the guy uh, And and I'm sure You, know, you've, you were implying this like uh, th- that was never his role anywhere else. This is the first time that he's been asked to do something like this. And so, you know, it's it's just not a role that fits him, maybe at this point in his career, maybe ever. Uh, but, yeah, in Seattle, he's a fine player. Like you were just saying, uh, he has to come in rotationally. Uh, he contributed on special teams, which, you know, Pete Carroll always loves. But, uh, yeah, it was, it's nice to get an update on uh, some former players. And, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention one guy who uh, Seahawks fans love. Uh, I'm I'm still upset he's not with the team, but uh, Richard Sherman, uh, he's a fan favorite. You know, wherever he goes, uh, it's it's still weird to see him in that in those Niners colors. But I, I'm, I'm wondering, what's your opinion of him this year, especially coming off this Achilles injury?
0: Yeah, and it's gonna be funny that this is finally his first time back and playing against his old team, and he was public enemy number one because as much as the team that he's on loves him, the team that he's playing against. Hates him, you know, and that's what he was like, the guy 49ers fans, I think at first were like, I can't, I don't know if I can get behind this, but Richard Sherman very quickly turned people around and and changed people's opinions about him. And uh, he's definitely a step slower, that's for sure. So he might be more susceptible for some big plays than he had been in the past, but teams still aren't trying him because he has that reputation and he still is. A really smart player, and I've really appreciated watching him just run routes for guys. Like he really understands route combinations, understands what offenses are trying to do. And so he's been very good. And he just hasn't really been targeted much because teams had so much success targeting the opposite side of the field from him. So um I think he has potential to you know show a little bit of, of uh decline from that. Achilles injury but teams aren't really trying him because they don't have to and he's still played playing very well so um, props to Richard Sherman for coming in and and really turning uh, the 49ers fans around and changing their opinion of him and playing some really good football still uh, this far into his career now we're talking about some ex Seahawks on the 49ers and uh, I'm wondering if there might at some point be more I think we got to take a little break here and then I want to I want to drill you about a few more things Okay, here we are back with another Wednesday crossover episode. Brian Peacock here of Locked On 49ers. I'm with Grant Goldberg of Locked On Seahawks. Uh, last we saw Earl Thomas, he was being carted off the field, flipping the bird back toward, I don't think the sideline of or maybe the front office. I don't know where that bird was headed, but um what are the thoughts like all right? There's, so there's multiple things I want to ask you about with it with the defense of the Seahawks. First of all, how are they playing so well without all these guys we talked about have they have they ditched the old cover three scheme a little bit and started playing different because they have different pieces or are they still playing that same scheme as they always were without Earl Thomas and Richard Sherman?
1: Uh, it's 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 a little bit of a different scheme. Uh, you, you see a little more cover two, uh, you know Tampa two sometimes, but uh, you know it's all anchored around Bobby Wagner. Uh, he's at the center of the defense, and uh, I think he's allowed um, the defense to play like a, a little bit in the sense that Earl Thomas allows the defense to play a little more fast and loose because they had that point of security on the field, the point of security has just changed. Uh, It went from, you know, in deep center field to, uh, let's just say second base, we're going to stay on uh, baseball terms. But uh, Bobby (laughs) Wagner's been this just – he's just been incredible. He's been Bobby Wagner for the Seahawks defense, and and that's what you need uh, when you have so much change and so much turnover in a defense. Uh, just that that point in which you can rally around uh, is really helpful. Uh, granted, you know the defense has done a good job in drafting some cornerbacks and Shaquille Griffin and Trey Flowers, who's been a great surprise for the Seahawks this year. Um, now you have, you know, a, you you still have a good defense. You just don't have the names. Uh, Bradley McDougal's been lights out for the Seahawks at strong safety. Uh, he's been playing really well since since last year when Cam Chancellor went down. And so uh, you know you have. Playmakers at every level of the defense. You have Frank Clark and Jaron Reed at the de- at the defensive line. You have Bobby Wagner and and hopefully a KJ Wright that's healthy, uh, linebacker spot, and then. Uh, you have Bradley McDougald holding things down the secondary. And so, you no, know, they they're able to play well. They're able to uh just play that Seahawks defense, keep everything in front of you, uh make them beat you deep if they're gonna beat you. And so, you know, I think uh I think when you have just a, a good amount of talent at everywhere every spot in the field and very little uh little uh I'm I'm sorry, the word's escaping me, but uh uncertainty at at some other positions maybe you want to rusher uh, opposite of Frank Clark, and you want, you know, a safety opposite of Bradley McDougald, but, you know, they're making do with what they have, and, you know, what they have is a lot of good young players who have really bought into the scheme and, and have played lights out.
0: Yeah, that's so key, replacing the talent when you lose some names like that, and just because you might not recognize the names doesn't mean those guys haven't developed and in, in play ready to go, and I think 49ers fans are having a rough time with Robert Sala's scheme, former coach with the Seahawks, and the, the development. And so that's one of the big things that uh, I was surprised about and seeing the Seahawks play without these big names and seeing the 49ers defense sort of stall out and not take that next step and develop. And I think they just need more talent, maybe more time together will really help. And I think a lot of 49ers fans are kind of eyeballing. They're like, well, we already got Richard Sherman. Let's just complete the LOB part two and bring Earl Thomas in <laughs> next year because if we can't develop or draft a free safety might as well just get the prototype for this scheme. so that's where 49ers fans are at right now uh eyeballing eyeballing that situation just uh and maybe a little bit more salt in the wound for for Seahawks fans if the 49ers are able to pull that off too oh man that'd be a nightmare uh but yeah that that
1: bird was directed towards the, the Seahawks sideline you know who it was directed towards I'm not sure but uh, you uh, you look at the situations all around the league when it comes to guys holding out and and wanting some job security uh, and security financially. Uh, Le'Veon Bell is a, a great example, and you know that's what Earl Thomas <laughs> feared. He feared getting hurt and and risking this opportunity to uh, put his skills on display once again to kind of earn this next contract. I still think the Seahawks should have gave him that that uh, contract extension, and maybe uh, if he's in camp and uh, he's with the team longer, then maybe that doesn't shake out the way it shook out. But, you know, it, it's the way it happened, the way the cookie crumbled. But I think that Earl Thomas, wherever he lands, you know, I, I think it's really unlikely at this point that he comes back to the Seahawks. Uh, wherever he lands, he's going to be a great player. Um, we've seen him come back from this injury once before, and um, it's, it's not a matter of if... He comes back you know and and, and plays like Carl Thomas but uh, when he comes back from this injury, so you know if forty ers got his got their hands on him uh that's yeah it's it's gonna allow their scheme just to absolutely take off. Uh, having that security blanket that sense of security with Earl Thomas on the field. Uh, there's it's second to none um, You know when you talk about secondary uh, it allows everybody to play just a lot more loose Like I was saying with Bobby Wagner in the middle of the field uh, it, it just allows everybody to play free and uh, not carefree But you know just not having to worry about over the top as much because you have this generational talent at safety so you know I'm I was Gutted for old Thomas as a player, as you know, as a fan. Uh, so I just I hope he lands somewhere where he can succeed, and uh, the Seahawks
0: don't have to see him all too much. <laughs> yes, somewhere where he can succeed—that's that's not San Francisco, right? Right.
1: Yeah. Just you know, put him put him <laughs> in the AFC. Maybe I don't know. Kansas City was you know in trade talks for him, so it him going to Kansas City would probably be a cheat code and uh, allow them right, to build yeah. their defense oh. around him. That would just be. Uh, some of the whole rest of the league would just kind of put their, hand, uh, their face in their hands and, and kind of question why they're going to try.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there, you know, there's some talk about him going back to Texas, and and maybe the Dallas Cowboys would be eyeballing him and Chris Richard over there. Actually, that's something. I, will, I think we have a little bit of time here to talk about this. So Chris Richard, former defensive backs coach and defensive coordinator with the Seahawks, um, a lot of 49ers fans are thinking, okay, maybe – maybe the 49ers didn't hire the right former assistant from the Seahawks and seeing what's going on, with the Cowboys defensive backfield and how good they've played this year uh, with Chris Richard coaching over there and thinking, well, maybe they need to go that route and, and and try to hire someone like that to come in and play defensive coordinator for the 49ers and still keep the same scheme because the scheme is sound. Maybe they're not getting coached up just, just right. Um, what What is your take and your angle on Chris Richard as a coach and what happened with him and his short-lived tenure as defensive coordinator after he was so great and instrumental in the Legion of Boom?
1: Uh, yeah, no, he was uh, a guy that everybody loved in Seattle. Uh, all the players loved him. Uh, he was, like you said, defensive backs guy. So you know when your whole team rallies around that position group, you know the defense is going to succeed. Now, he was a little more... Uh, happy to blitz more than a Dan Quinn or uh, Gus Bradley was a little little like Chris Richard in that sense but uh, you know you had this you know defense that you know had this swagger and you know when they stepped on the field like everybody felt it you know and and you can make the argument that the Seahawks defense was gonna look good regardless of the defensive coordinator but uh, his schemes were good you know the amount of blitzing was good uh, but you want you want your defensive coordinator to take chances and be aggressive and I think Chris richard did a good job of balancing that and uh, I've been happy to see him succeed in Dallas um, I know the Cowboys aren't you know everybody's favorite team but uh, you know seeing a guy get his opportunity again after losing it in Seattle uh, I was I was really happy to see the way that he's turned around the defense in Dallas and has uh, been you know instrumental in getting Dallas to where they're at you know leading their division and and uh really the defense is what is keeping this this uh Dallas team winning on the road and, you know that's what you need going into these road games and uh that's what we've seen out of the Cowboys so now i've been super impressed by him uh as the Cowboys dc
0: yeah absolutely and so um Another, I mean, (laughs) at some point, the 49ers got to stop just poaching uh, Seahawks leftovers. And it it hasn't really worked out that great so far, too. So that's maybe another reason why. But uh, maybe a little extra bit of uh, fuel to the fire of this. I think, you know, it's not what it once was as far as Seahawks versus 49ers, obviously, when they're really good. And it was Harbaugh and Carroll. But uh, there's still a lot of those same. Feelings that have uh, that have carried on, even though it's not as, as, at least from the 49ers' standpoint, not holding up their end of the bargain as being as competitive uh, in these matchups. But I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a really cool contest. Uh, what kind of a prediction you got here for Sunday? Yeah,
1: it's uh, it's Sunday, Sunday afternoon, not Sunday night anymore, because it got flexed out of Sunday night yeah. football, and, and rightfully so. But uh, I, I think the Seahawks are going to be able to take this game Uh, I think it's going to be a little more comfortable than the Seahawks' past couple matchups, uh, you know, coming off of the Panthers' win, coming off the Packers' win. Uh, I think, uh, you know, obviously you can never sleep on an opponent in the National Football League. Uh, Nothing's ever given. And uh, who knows, the 49ers are going to play up because it's a division matchup and like you said no it would be nice to you know get a win over somebody that's in your division uh but you know that said i do think the seahawks win and it's probably by a score of maybe 24 to 10 uh there's never really a moment that the seahawks have to really sweat it out through the game but uh the 49ers do put some points on the board they they make it interesting at you know a couple points but i think the seahawks win a little bit comfortably
0: no, right. I'm right there with you. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Uh, I, I can't really, and looking at the games down the stretch, if the 49ers can beat the Giants and the Bucks, it's going to be really hard to predict any wins for the 49ers going forward, and the Seahawks are playing good football right now. So definitely this is not going to be one of those, and the Seahawks are favored by 10.5, and I think that's the reason why. And um, against the spread, maybe the 49ers can keep it close within double digits, but yeah, I, I think it's going to be a pretty easy Seahawks win. I'm with you. Yeah, but you no, know, it's
1: it's always fun, like you said, to see Seahawks and Forty Nine ers take the field. Uh, if anything, you can you know reminisce on the matchups that they did have, uh, the the championship game, and well, on Seahawks fans' parts. But uh, yeah, it's it's always fun, and, and you can look back on you know what a tremendous rivalry that really was. Uh, the teams would go back and forth, and. It's really really good competitive football uh, uh, teams that really mirrored each other I think you know at, at certain points in that run uh, the Seahawks and 49ers were the two best teams in the NFL and it just mm-hmm. so happened that they were in the same division and we got to see them beat the crap out of each other every time they played so no it's oh al- it's always fun to see see the two teams uh, maybe it's not what it was but you know like I said you know there's the uh there's the nostalgia in it I guess there's nostalgia for something that happened a few years ago. I don't know. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, there definitely
0: I... is. And and if there if it comes down to sort of a goal line play at the end of the game, hopefully Pete Carroll returns the favor and decides to throw it at Richard Sherman instead of running the ball.
1: Yeah. No. You guys can execute the the Richard Sherman Malcolm Smith play <laughs> like that's yeah, that's no problem for you guys. So yeah. Maybe uh, maybe it'll be David Moore that they target in the corner of the end zone and uh the the two guys come up big again who knows but uh i'm definitely looking forward to seeing the two teams uh face off against each other once again
0: yeah absolutely should be fun and and sometimes the one thing i will say about that big uh the big line and the ten and a half points is that sometimes you can really throw that out with division opponents and they see each other so often you play each other twice a year and it's why you see you, know, you see these teams split so often if this was At home for the 49ers and it was the second time they'd seen each other, I would say maybe there's a better chance for the 49ers pulling off an upset. But yeah, can't see it in this one, but it should be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely, and 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 for what you just said about the the two teams knowing each other so well, I think you know you can probably attribute that most to the coaching stuff because the roster turnover turnover for both teams has have been you know so high, and and you know you got a lot of different players taking the field, and so uh, that's you know largely up to the coaching staff and getting these guys prepared for these familiar foes. Absolutely.
0: All right. Uh, we are running out of time here, Grant. Always a pleasure chatting with you on these crossover episodes and uh, let's do it again later this year.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I will close with uh, go Seahawks and you now go to, go to Apple podcasts and leave a five star review for locked on Seahawks for Locked On 49ers. You no, know, it's always appreciated. We always want to hear your feedback. If you have any questions, leave them in a five star review. Uh, Spike always likes to say uh, five, four and two just to make it interesting. Uh, But, yeah, thank you guys for listening, and uh, (laughs) thanks, Brian, for for doing this. I know we talked uh, earlier in the year, but it's always nice to talk again and and do these crossover episodes.
0: Absolutely, and uh, I'm going to cut out the Go Seahawks part, but that's okay. It's always a pleasure chatting with you.
1: (laughs) All right, thank you.
0: All right.